Hello and welcome to HX Superheroes, where we explore the full story of human-centered leadership when it comes to making strategic and operational decisions, no matter what your business is. In today's episode, we talk to Sean Albertson, Head of Client Experiment, Measurement and Analytics at Charles Schwab. He co-leads Schwab's Client Research Center of Excellence, which works to integrate Net Promoter Score, Customer Effort Score, and with other survey insights, marketing and industry research and brand tracking so that Schwab can get a holistic view of their customer and see them as humans and not just data points. Sean, it's so good to be here. Thank you for joining me today in this episode. First off, our audience and our listeners want to know, where did you come from? Tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to Charles Schwab. Absolutely. Well, uh, first, thank you for having me. This is a great opportunity to speak with you about this. And I, you know, superheroes, I'm not exactly sure I don't wear a cape, but I, I do really enjoy this space of uh, human experience, ultimately. And I love the brand that you guys are looking around that. Well, so I started, I grew up in Corpus Christi, Texas on the Gulf Coast. Spent most of my life here, uh, there young. And, and of course, I love water sports. Uh, I, I had a little bit of surfing, a lot of water skiing, uh, but uh, son of a Baptist minister and a teacher. So I think that's where my love for learning and my faith are so important to me. It really kind of started from there. But uh, I went to college at Baylor University back when uh, Baylor really stunk at sports uh, <laughs> versus these days, which is nice to see. Uh, graduated and ended up moving to Colorado. I've been there ever since. Uh, and it, it had to be fate because I literally met my wife uh, the weekend I moved to Colorado. So uh, it, we have three boys, and uh, they're, they're from senior in high school to senior in college. So really enjoyed uh, the state of Colorado and the Rocky Mountains, and yeah. uh, it's, it's my home now. That's fantastic. And I understand that your three sons are pretty active in baseball, if I'm not mistaken. They all, they As all you played. Might be. Yeah, well, they all played all sports. Yeah, okay. uh, but baseball found its, uh, you know, found its hold on them much more probably than the other sports. And I actually coached them a couple of times, uh, usually on the younger years, because they, they surpassed my knowledge once they got a, got a little bit older. But yeah, I coached all three. And, you know, coaching is a challenge um, in any uh, kind of way because you can coach employees in the workforce, you can coach you know kids in, in sports, and there's a lot of similarity. And uh, yeah, you teach them when they're new, you teach them when they're green, uh, and then you, they as they start to mature, you change your coaching style. You start to focus on uh, you know really getting them to get passionate about what they're doing and start taking some of that own responsibility. And so I've I've used that kind of coaching uh, throughout my career in different ways, and but a little harder when you're doing your kids because. You know, I didn't want to be the the proverbial daddy ball coach where, yeah. you know, I did it for my boys. Uh, I was probably harder than them on them than I was the other players, but uh, it was a great experience. What do you think are, are the biggest parallels between sort of sport and business leadership? Any thoughts on that? Motivation is the biggest one. I, I really think at the end of the day, when you're trying to get a team of any sort to perform well, you've got to focus on their experience just as much. Like in, the, in our career, of course, we call it EX, right? Really focusing on employee experience in that way. But it's the same way on a, on a sports team. Uh, great coaches uh, may know the X's and O's, but it's really more about the relationship they build and the motivation they create. And ultimately, in many cases, the vision they create in, uh, in what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah. So what ultimately led you to Charles Schwab and the current role that you're in now? Well, I started in the, you know, the early to mid-90s on the call center floor. I took calls for several years. That was my first real job. 
uh, moved up into management. And, you know, then I started really getting into more of the support functions like quality teams. I ran those or training teams and, and ultimately, you know, started seeing what the opportunity was for coaching at scale, for actually doing more and finding out what, you know, what would make uh, performance better, both for the employee and ultimately for the client. And, and then as the industry grew, because this is all before customer experience was customer experience, really, the term hadn't been fully baked at that point. But then it was about survey programs, net promoter score in the early 2000s and uh, American Customer Satisfaction Index. And what I loved about that was the opportunity to really understand the experience. And so that led me even deeper into that. What's unique, I think, about my experience is that I, I actually had CX role you know, customer experience roles in marketing, finance, product and pricing, uh, in, uh, and even in IT. And uh, some people are kind of like, well, that's not really CX. It's like, actually it is because everybody contributes to the client experience or the customer experience. And I, what was great about that was really fulfilling that opportunity to understand it in different ways. And then that led me finally to Charles Schwab. And uh, I've been there for five years and talk about an incredible organization I'm happy to be a part of and leading the, the CX team, and it, it's, it's been a great opportunity. What's the, um, is it phenomenal brands, a phenomenal uh, managed-led company, and, you know, I'm, I'm a customer. I'm happy to say I'm a customer of Charles Schwab. You know, what would you say is the ethos that you bring in your current role to customer experience as it relates to the Schwab environment? Absolutely. Well, Schwab, starting in 1975, Schwab, the purpose was to really bring Wall Street to Main Street. Uh, really drive that accessibility. And so it ultimately, in that context, was a lot more about Main Street than it was Wall Street. So it was a lot more about those clients. Well, uh, Chuck himself came up with a strategy many years ago called Through Client's Eyes. So really our strategy, our ethos, if you will, is about looking at everything we do through the client's eyes. Every decision we make needs to have a greater weight on client experience and their, you know, what, what they're going to get from it than it is the business. Do you think that in your time there, do you think that's probably the biggest change that you've seen? Or has there been others? Oh, well, I mean, we're seeing change all the time. Yeah. Uh, but the fees, the free fees, if you will, or lack of fees is a big one. Products, uh, constantly innovating on products and services. In fact, we, are, we have right now, uh, we were one of the first to offer stock slices, where instead of having to pay for one full share, especially of these very high expense, you know, uh, companies, you can go buy a slice down to $5. Uh, you're part of that ownership, things like that, being able to do even other things that help them invest. But again, it's always about the client, their experience, what they need and the focus there. So, you know, it seems like every year there's something amazing that comes out from, uh, from the client's perspective. It's amazing to me. And we've spent a bit of time and, and just hearing you reflect on, on the history of Schwab, that there is incredibly strong culture that must make your job as a CX practice practitioner fairly easy, doesn't it? Well, so the team I'm on and I run, we're, uh, we're in the middle of the organization, basically as independent consultants for all the different business units. So from that, we do all the surveys, we do all of the research. And, and yeah, when we sit down with one business unit or another, that, that wanting to focus on through clients' eyes, that wanting to do what's right for the customer absolutely makes things easier. Uh, because again, the culture, and it, it took years to really develop and reiterate that culture. And it took everyone to do it, HR to hire the right yeah. people, right? We, we have to always make sure we're focusing on the right people. Obviously, from a technology standpoint, it has to work the right way for to for that purpose as well, but ultimately, yeah, bringing that together. Now, 
it still isn't perfect. I've, I've worked at a lot of companies that had really good cultures, but maybe they were a little too siloed. So when it came to execution of that activity, it was a little harder because they weren't as organized. And so we do a lot at Schwab to reach across the aisle, if you will, to yep. work all the different groups together to, to identify and really work through that experience. So for instance, every day I speak with the, the digital team from the website or the mobile app, along with the call center and the chat team and all these groups that are touching the client as well as the other groups behind the scenes and bridging that gap and driving that together is, is almost more important than culture itself. Because at the end of the day, culture, if you can't turn it into action, it isn't really, you know, yeah, it's great to have the culture, but it's not really doing what it's supposed to do. And that's when bringing those groups together really provides that opportunity. It sounds like you had to be pretty intentional about that, right? You talk a little bit about culture, but that cross-functional collaboration to really drive a culture of customer experience is, is, is the critical sort of piece of that puzzle. Uh, any sort of thoughts around that? Any, any highlights that you can share? Well, again, I think at the end of the day, the one of the key opportunities that, you know, silos create naturally in any organization. And you have to be absolutely intentional not to let that happen. It's nobody's fault. Nobody tries to. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to do something selfishly today for my part of the business versus, you know, working with someone else. It's just kind of a natural tendency. So it absolutely has to be a key focus. So for us, a lot of what we try to do is get the teams and the folks to really understand why and the philosophy. And storytelling is a, is a great example of that. So a big part of what I focus on, for instance, as that centralized group is making sure everybody understands in different ways. So for instance, we use a story, I'll just kind of share with you the same story I share internally sometimes that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, in Colorado, and we talked about this earlier, I got three boys, you know, one of our favorite places to go in the mountains in Colorado is Rocky Mountain National Park. It's a beautiful place. There's a place in there called Moraine Park, and there's a river that runs through it. And many years ago, I was there with my boys, and one of my sons said, you know, why does this river not flow straight? Why does it wind back so much? And, and it's one of those rivers that literally you wouldn't think it knows where it wants to go. And, uh, and I, you know, I did the dad thing. I made something up and I, you know, answered his question and we moved on. Of course, he didn't have a smartphone, so he couldn't, you know, call me on it and realize I wasn't, realize I wasn't as smart as I pretended to be. But literally within a week, I'm sitting there working with a business partner, uh, going through some journey mapping exercises over the process they built. And, and this, this product owner, he's like, I don't understand. We built this very straightforward process, but we're finding all these customers are wandering around like crazy. Mm. And I started realizing, like, you know, that, that conversation, my son jumped back at me. And so I started realizing it. If you've ever looked at journey research, you would think you're looking at a river because the customers, your customers, they flow back and forth. They're constantly running into obstacles, your obstacles, the things that you and your business don't think about but create those roadmaps. I call them rocks that get in the way. And so ultimately our opportunity is to really rally around at Schwab. And, and this is kind of an example of the story we do it to understand, hey, if, if we're not careful, we create enough friction in that, in that journey of the clients. Yep. You know, not only will our <clears throat> clients be frustrated going back and forth and running into obstacles or rapids, if you will, they may overflow the banks and run to our competitors. And it's a real thing that we have to understand. And, and that has really enabled Schwab to gather around that so that they understand ease is a big part of what drives, you know, client loyalty. You, you, it's hard to create loyalty, but you can absolutely create disloyalty if you make things hard. 
And so we, we try to get out of our own way as much as possible. Yep. But the key to that is the website team, talking to the call center team, talking to the chat team, because nothing worse in research, you know, in our research than a client who bounces around, doesn't get their answer. They're getting frustrated and more frustrated as they go. And so that's really what's allowed our focus to be uh, aligned and, uh, and really pulled together is, is a lot of really hopefully good storytelling and a lot of opportunity to really drive that. I mean, one of the themes clearly is collaboration, right? And we've all had to experience this through the recent pandemic and going remotely and virtually. And some organizations have done a better job than others. And I've certainly, you know, with Forrester, we've been on our own journey when it comes to hybrid working and remote working. But where innovation and that cross-functional collaboration is at the absolute core of your success what did you have to do differently? Any tips or tricks that you could share with the uh, the, CX, the aspiring CX leader so that they could learn from uh, learn from some of your history? Absolutely. Well, I think the key for for Schwab specifically and the success we've had it really drives to the um, the key opportunity to communicate. And harder when you're not necessarily sitting next to each other anymore. But heck, before the pandemic, you know, half of my team, or actually, you know. Uh, I had team members in five different cities. So we weren't really next to each other anyway, even prior to the pandemic. Yeah. But it really is about conscious communication, uh, heavy focus on, on strategy and vision, yep. really making sure that everybody understands you know, where they're going and why they're doing it, almost more importantly, uh, from that perspective. But it has to be a conscious effort. Uh, when, you know, when team members are sitting potentially at home by themselves, um, you've got to you've got to reach out and find that way to create the same as much of the same kind of culture as you did uh, when you were able to do uh, you know a water cooler. Of course, there's not many water coolers left anymore. But you know water cooler conversations yeah. or or working through break rooms and things like that. You have to reach out and find a better way to do that. Yeah. So measurement clearly is 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 part of the fabric of what you do, whether it's NPS or customer effort score. How do you know what to measure? Well, the key is testing whatever you are measuring until you find the right metric. Now, over the years, I've, I've basically used, tried uh, about every potential metric out there. Um, obviously, we already mentioned net promoter score, customer effort score, I, you know, customer satisfaction index, OSAT, um, likely to repurchase. I mean, I've used about every metric and derivative. You can, I even made some up probably right. over the years. At the end of the day, you don't use a measurement for measurement's sake. And that's got to be the key. You've got to be able to find the kind of metrics that predict the behavior you're either looking to reintroduce or make more of or reduce. Yep. Because at the end of the day, so for instance, I'll just use an example, you know, we see, and many companies do this, especially financial services organizations, and I even saw this in, in my time in telco, but your net promoter score, for instance, more often than not does predict loyalty. And there's nothing more actionable than actually finding those things that people are saying are difficult and just work ruthlessly to make them easy. Digital transformation is a, be a key part of that. More training. I mean, all the things that you can do to make that improvement. And, and that's the predictive nature. So in any industry, that's number one is to measure it, whatever you're using. And if you're yep. not seeing that result in that prediction, try something else uh, potentially, or try multiple metrics at the same time. Because again, you know, the, the ultimate question that that's kind of the, the, the Reichelt's book about uh, net promoter score, you can't really probably, and even, even Bain and Reichelt these days are saying, you, you need more than just one metric. It, it's a suite of metrics yeah. used in different ways. And, 
but ultimately they have to they have to you have to be able to find that that prediction if you will of the outcome yeah a lot of companies that we talk to um, clearly they're they're struggling because they're drowning in data some some companies struggle to even get any data to measure and to to run these kinds of programs but we have other organizations that are struggling to try and get a sense of all of the data that they have. Have you had to face that challenge and how did you resolve it? Oh, absolutely. We, we are drowning. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean there, it's something like, uh, they said something like, uh, you know, every day a person on the website creates a, you know, something quintillion. I had to look at it, it was 18 zeros uh, amount of data out there. And so we are all doing that. Now, a lot of times that data is also locked up in different systems. So our focus at Schwab has really been to bring that data together. And of course, it's, it's pretty common these days for organizations to do that. It's becoming, a, a, of course, more and more common. But the key for us is, you know, even going back to the net promoter score and, and customer effort score, they're, they're not running al- alone, right? We, what we actually do is we <coughs> integrate, for instance, the, the transcript from the call with a post-call survey or the chat transcript with a post-chat survey. We bring all of that additional data together because at the end of the day, that's when you really learn more. You use it and honestly, you start to be able to do things and predict more behavior from that text that's always there that you don't have to depend on surveys as much and and a heavy focus on bringing those pieces together um, to both understand, put the human you know, in that, in that experience that you're measuring, uh, but to really understand that because you can really see not just when a, a score of an effort, but you can see the emotion, for instance, from the transcript, uh, you know, that, that the, the client shared or sentiment scores or things of that nature. So bringing those pieces together more holistically is, is deepening our ability to really understand that experience and, and ultimately take the kind of behavior that should uh, improve it in the long run as well. So, that's fantastic. I mean, you're clearly working with a program at scale, right? If, if we think about sort of the sheer size and global scale that Schwab brings to the table when it comes to customer experience, you're probably one of the more complex and larger programs that, that certainly we, we support and we, we come across. Have you had any lessons learned just in terms of where you started and where you're at today and where you want to be in three to five years from now as it relates to that? Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the keys is, because inevitably, and any organization could say this, you know, size is a relative when you're talking about, when we're talking about this amount of data and things like that. Uh, the key is you got to set the boundaries and really understand what your focus is. Because, I mean, everybody heard, hears the, and uses the statement, you know, can't boil the ocean. And, and that's very true in experience yeah. because, you know, just like we said earlier, everybody in an organization and everything that happens uh creates the experience that the the customer or the client feels but you can't you can't just try to boil that you know from that perspective and that's where driving to that all right what's the purpose what's the driver you know and and through clients eyes for instance at Schwab at, a, at that strategic level then leads to let's talk about for in for instance effort you know being a key because we want to reduce disloyalty we have groups working on creating loyalty but as a as an organization, we really hone in on that because otherwise we may be you know spinning our wheels too much. Yep. The other thing though is to use the technology, and that's that's out there and that's now abundant. So again, all that data is out there to be leveraged, and and we now have whether it's AI and and other models of that nature, the ability to to you know put that information together and then let technology help you find the, the most important insights. Uh, and that is one of the keys is 
driving those pieces at scale. So target what you really want to do, really focus in on a certain kind of action or behavior, and then let technology work for you to help you there. And that's a big part of that that opportunity. You um, you mentioned AI, and you mentioned sort of technology and, and the platform to help really get your hands around that data. Um, there's a lot of talk around chat GBT and machine learning and AI and LLP. What's your prediction in the future? Have you got any thoughts in terms of trends in, in the market as we see them? I'll tell you what, uh, it's hard to predict, obviously, <laughs> the future, except the fact that it's going to exponentially be different than it is today. Yeah. Um, I, I was asked that question at a conference a while, last year, and the way I answered it was, um, you know, I think an agent's going to be sitting there talking to the, a client or customer on the phone, and, you know, as they're talking, the script and the dialogue is being typed into the CRM. And, and as they're talking, articles are popping up next to the user because based on the conversation, nobody's typing anything anymore. And, and the tool is actually meant to predict because at the end of the day, you, you can think that everybody's going to use self-service for, for that purpose. Um, but really, that still is the easy stuff, right? A, a chatbot, most of the time, can't help you with a very complex issue. And... Yeah. I think a lot of businesses are starting to even see that balance that says, again, human experience, you can't only do that. I mean, you, you can move those things that are easier to those more automated challenge, but the human experience is still going to be there. So this hybrid kind of human AI, and, and I'm trying not to sound science fiction-y here, but this hybrid of I'm having a conversation, but at the same time, the AI is helping me make sure I'm accurate in what I do. And and for instance, capturing, I, you know, for us in our industry, I want to make a trade for $10,000 and it's plugging in the $10,000 so I don't fat finger it as an agent. Yeah. You know, I think that's really right there around us. But that was a year ago that I answered it that way. Now I, I, I even wonder if it's going to be even more advanced and, and beyond that. It just, it's changing so fast. But I yeah. do know this, that we're going to fi figure out a way to balance that human interaction because so many people still want it, especially when things are difficult yeah. with that automation. Uh, it's not just going to go too far one direction for yeah. sure. Yeah. Everyone wants to know that they can talk to someone when they're in trouble. And I think that's kind of that blending the, 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 the two together is going to be critical. Going Absolutely. What, one of the things that we like to talk a little bit about on this podcast is leadership because it is so critical for organizations, especially given everything that's happening in the macroeconomic landscape and, uh, and everything that's happening around the globe with rising inflation and oil prices and that kind of thing. I've got a mantra. We're talking, I've been known to talk a little bit about this internally, which is, you know, turn up on time, work hard, and don't be a jerk, right? And it's somewhat self-explanatory, but it really is 25 years being distilled down into three kind of very succinct things. Have you got your own mantra? Not that articulate. That's a great one, by the way. I may steal <laughs> it. But no, I, I, I do think, though, um, have a story would be one of those. Mm -hmm. Data is great. But, you know, as a, as a CX practitioner, data is only part of it. You've got, again, you've got to win hearts and minds. So having a really good story and being able to translate that well is a key, right? I yep. think the second is diverse experience. Don't pigeonhole yourself, especially younger in your career, into one area. I mean, what has benefited me most is that time I spent with a lot of lateral moves, finding out different parts of the organization and learning yeah. from them about what it takes from an experience standpoint for them to be better. 
Um, and then ultimately, yeah, I definitely, I would say, don't be a jerk. I'll, I'll go ahead. <laughs> I'll reiterate <laughs> that one. But, but really again, uh, you know, show your passion. Yeah. Um, don't be afraid to show your passion and, and let people see that. And I think, you know, those are for me, are probably three things, maybe not my mantra, but definitely some yeah. things I recommend being a heavy focus. Well, we've, we've had this conversation before. You're, you're a big fan of sport. I know that you're heavily involved in coaching. What's the one thing that you've drawn from in terms of your coaching life to your professional life? Well, I think ultimately, as as I look at my experience coaching, I never was the expert player. I, I didn't play high level anything, really, uh, uh, definitely not in college. So for me, again, it was more about motivation. And what I found from that is, um, you know, making sure that, you know, even when kids made mistakes, you know, it's use it as a learning opportunity, you know, on the field. Hey, next time, you know, do it this way or, or focus on that. I think the key there is, you know, making sure that as you're finding ways to lead people, you got to, you got to balance that need to say, yeah. you know, people learn differently and people are going to make mistakes. <clears throat> Don't let that be um, a hang up. Actually lean into it and find a way because you always hear fail fast. Well, that ultimately means you got to fail. You got to let people fail. Um, and you got to find the right opportunities to do that. And as a different kind of coach for different people, you've got to let that happen because that's then the way that they're going to learn so much more. And it's the same way in sports as it is in any sort of business uh, from that perspective in my mind. So, yeah. One of the things we like to ask on this podcast is, because we are talking about HX superheroes and customer experience, what's the best customer experience that you've ever had and why? You know, so, uh, you know, being that we happen to be here in Florida, I'll, I'll just go and uh, pick on that a little bit, but... Um, several years ago, when, when my boys were uh, four, five, and eight, uh, all very young, you know, at that time, my wife and I, if we took vacations, it was actually more work than staying at home uh, from that perspective. But we happened to go on a Disney cruise with uh, grandma and grandpa, with my parents. And I'll tell you what, it was the most amazing experience because, one, Disney does it right for kids. And the kids wanted to go to the programs and do all the things that they did. My wife and I had a vacation. Uh, and it was amazing. And that, I just, it was such a wonderful time. And it was so, uh, you know, it was just wonderful because the kids loved it. And, and you know, Disney does a lot of things right uh, when it comes to that, especially on the kids' side. And that was just an amazing experience we had. And, um, I, you know, sometimes I, I now think ahead, thinking, all right, when, when, are, when can my grandkids, because I don't have any grandkids yet, but when can we take them on a Disney cruise? Yeah. So we, we're just thinking about that. Uh, so. fant- well, they're also a fantastic brand and a great company as well. Do you have a leadership superpower that you want to, that you're able to share with us? Um, you know, I'd like to say I have several, uh, but I, you know, I think I'm pretty good at different things, but superpower, Again, I think for me, what I've really leaned into for myself is storytelling and really driving the opportunity to say, uh, to find a way to connect people to a strategy and a vision without them realizing it or realizing that it's, you know, it's a strategy or a vision because they feel it, they understand it. And so a heavy focus for me on my career to do that. Um, it usually uh, works out very well because it means people are really aligned with why we're doing things and th- uh, and you know, why we're driving to certain results and why we're going to do it in a certain way. And, um, you know, that's probably the one piece that's a little bit more unique to my skill set than others. I love speaking at conferences and on podcasts and things like that, because again, it helps me tell the right kind of stories and it helps me get in front of the right people in that way. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, especially in the world that we operate in, when you're trying to synthesize the volumes of data, 
trying to get a group of individuals, an organization behind you and leading that charge. Storytelling is is a great way to be able to do that and capture their imagination. Yeah, and you know, I'd even <clears throat> add further that if if you you know aren't great yourself at telling stories, use your customers for that. I mean, you've got such rich information about your customers, and and maybe you even have focus groups where customers would be willing to record or you know or these days on their own phones record themselves talking. We do a lot of that with some of our. Uh, our focus groups is is use that story uh, avenue as well. Don't just make it about a story you tell, but let your customers tell the story. Because again, uh, you know that's even more uh, a bigger way to get people involved across the organization who might not otherwise. Is you know if they hear you saying it, that's one thing. If they hear a client saying it or a customer saying it, uh, then it it resonates a lot better as well. Last question for me, Sean. If you had or you could change your career, what would your second career choice be? So uh, I actually, in, in high school and in college, I was lead singer and, and guitar player for a couple of bands. Um, never really made it too big outside of, our, uh, outside of Waco, Texas at Baylor. But, uh, I, you know, I always, uh, behind the scenes, would have loved to have really made it big. Yeah. Uh, and, well, who doesn't uh, want to be yeah, a rock I mean, star? Come on, yeah. Really? Who doesn't want to be a rock star? Sure, absolutely. <laughs> so that, that would have been a, a great thing. But I found my passion uh, one way or another as well. So Well, it's very clear that you're incredibly good at what you do. And I think you're an HX superhero, certainly in our eyes. And uh, I just, on behalf of, uh, of uh, the organization, Forsta, we just want to thank you for joining. And I'd love to have you on the podcast. And it's been fabulous getting a chance to know you a bit better. And, uh, and talking a little bit about your past and, and how you've been able to change the landscape at Charles Schwab over the last few years. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you.